the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 505, for Monday, June 9th, 2014. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the first palindromic Mac Geek Gab of the 500s. The show where you send in questions, you send in tips, you send in cool stuff found. We answer your questions, we share your tips, we share cool stuff found. Together, we all try to learn a little bit of something new about the Mac. We've got uh, Gazelle on board as uh, one of the sponsors for this episode. Gazelle.com to sell all your Apple stuff. We'll tell you uh, about them later. And also Connected Data at FileTransporter.com with two coupons. MGG10 for 10% off and MGG20 for 20 bucks off a uh, transporter sink. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here. In Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing, John? Good. I was going to say, uh, I, at first you said this is the first palindromic, but it's not really because oh. well, we did have 404, but well, if it was episode 404, you wouldn't be able to well, find But we it. also had 414 and 424 yeah, and 434. Right, right. right. So, but it's the first of the 500s. The palindromes moved from four to five. <laughs> yes. So I'm doing great here. So I was... Uh, you know, hold, holding down the fort here while you were off uh, gallivanting about at this uh, uh, WWDC event that uh, Apple tends to uh, have every year. And I guess you got lucky enough to get a... Now, did you get a ticket, actually? So you got a ticket, so you went to the... I did. I, um, you know, I signed up for the lottery. Last year, I tried... Uh, they, they didn't do a lottery last year. Last year, they announced when tickets would go on sale, and it was a big, crazy, like, concert ticket buying experience disaster. And when I say disaster... I mean, it was a disaster because when I go online to buy concert tickets the moment they go on sale, I am not doing it amidst a sea of all geeks, right? So, you know, I, I usually have a little bit of a leg up because I have multiple browser windows open and I, you know, I kind of know all the tricks and none of those tricks mattered last year with WWDC because everybody knows those tricks because we're all geeks, uh, which is good. But uh, this year they did a lottery and I signed up for the lottery and basically had decided not to go. I would go for the keynote. Last year I went for the keynote in like a day or two and then flew home and that was great. And then when I got the email saying, hey, you've been selected, uh, I sort of thought, well, maybe I should go. And I'm, I'm really glad I did. We're going to talk about some stuff. Um, this year at, at WWDC, Apple did something very interesting. They changed their NDA. And uh, the NDA specifically loosens up the restriction from uh, for for those of us that attended in that we can talk about sort of the, the back story behind a lot of the stuff. When you go to WWDC, there's the big keynote that everybody sees. And then immediately after that is sort of the second half of the keynote. Not immediately. There's time for lunch. But after that, the second what I would call the second half of the keynote, which is the um the platform state of the union where they sort of dig in a little bit more. And then the rest of the sessions all week, they dig in even more like real nitty gritty stuff into, uh, into, all, you know, everything. And you can't see everything. I mean, there's, you know, six sessions, eight sessions happening simultaneously at times. But, um, but now we can really talk about this. And last year we bent the rules a little bit and, and did some of this, but, uh, but I'm really glad this year that, that we can talk about more. And to me, so first Dave, so this is the first year. That I actually watched the keynote on my Apple TV. Oh, it was sweet. a very 
pleasant experience. So uh, what happens is that they will have an, what they do is I guess they issue a, a minor software update. And they add an Apple events channel, right? And then you sit there and when the event happens, you can stream it. And it was, uh, you know, on my uh, uh, HDTV and sound setup and all that, it was uh, uh, no glitches whatsoever. And I'm I'm sure more comfortable than I was uh, crammed into a room with, you know, 5,000 of my closest developer friends and, and media. Well, you know, even Dave, when, when you and I have attended, uh, in my humble opinion, it's, uh, you know, it's funny. I saw one guy, I think it was a Harry McCracken yeah. <laughs> saying, I survived the developer stampede to get to the, you get the best seats. Yeah. And personally, dude, even when you and I have, have done the, uh, keynotes, I'm much more comfortable in the back looking at the big screen than have insisting on being up close and probably not getting as good, a good an experience. So that, so it was an excellent experience, you know, great camera work, audio and everything. I, I I don't think I missed anything and I may have gotten more out of it than the people that were actually there. Or I think a lot of people did. It's possible. Certainly possible. Uh, this time, because of the stream, I was able to do less live coverage than I normally would have to being in the room uh, because the guys were able to kind of fill in a lot of the gaps from back in their offices. So I took some pictures and that sort of thing. But for the most part, I was able to sit and watch, which it's the first keynote perhaps ever that I've really truly been able to do that. Um, so it was nice, but um, so I, I want to talk about some things here, John and in no necessarily particular order. So these are things that if you've followed any of the coverage, you've heard about the broad, broad strokes of them. But, um, but I wanted to tell you a little bit kind of about the, the backstory behind some of these things. First though, John, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is gazelle. Uh, I know Apple didn't release any new hardware, but you know that they will sometime soon, probably in the fall. But hey, anything's possible. And when it's time for new Apple hardware and that time can be any time or if you've already got some new hardware and you've got some old stuff left over, Gazelle is the place to go to quickly turn that hardware into cash. They are they make it so simple. Anybody in the U.S. can do this. What you do is you visit Gazelle.com. And you tell them what you have. And when you go in, you say, okay, I've got, you know, an iPhone. They ask what model. And then they'll say, okay, is it AT&T or whatever? And you do this with an iPad or or anything, right? And how big is it? What condition is it in? Does it have a lot of scratches? Is it engraved? Et cetera, et cetera. You go through and then they say, okay, great. Based on what you told us, here's the number. And here's the price we'll pay you. And at that point, if you like it, You can either log in if you have an account or create an account. Remember, up till this point, all you've done is tell them what you're selling. They don't know who you are uh, and they don't bother you with that until it's time to send you something. Now, they can't send you money first, but what they do is they send you a box free of charge. And into that box, you will then put the device and uh, and they, they send packing tape and a return label on them. Right. So, again, no money spent, just a little bit of time putting this thing into the box and that's it. Then you ship it off to them. They evaluate it and then they send you your money, PayPal, or you can get an Amazon gift card and actually get, I think about 5% more than, than your value. Super, super simple. And, uh, and, and you folks love them. So I, I, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. So check them out. Gazelle.com during the checkout process, you'll have the opportunity to tell them where you heard about them. And I say checkout process as though you're buying something from them. You're not. Uh, but, you know, during the, the registration process, if you will, tell them where you heard about them. And, and there's a little drop down and Mac Geek lives happily alphabetically in that drop down. So go ahead and choose us. That way they know that uh, that you heard about it from us. So 
That's uh, that's Gazelle. Excellent partner. They've been a sponsor of this show for a good long time, and I've used them myself countless times. It's super simple. You just don't have to think about it. It's so much easier than trying to Craigslist the thing or anything. like You just done. Just put it on Gazelle. You can do it from your iPhone. I mean, you literally can do the entire process from your iPhone, and, and it, it'll probably take you about two minutes total, and then you're done. And then, and then you're good to go and you get your money. So gazelle.com. Thanks so much. All right, John. So the first thing I want to talk about again, in no particular order is extensions. So this is kind of a big deal, right? Extensions are available now on iOS and OS 10, but, but it's a big deal that they're available on iOS because up till now there has been no way for the only thing a third party developer could do on iOS was build an app. Right. There was no way to say, I want to add some functionality to another app. And in fact, if you had an app that, say, did something uh, like a very specific type of extension does that adds, uh, you know, that, that tweaks photos, you had to release a whole separate app. People had to import the photo into the app, do their thing, export it out and then pull it into whatever other app sharing app they wanted to do or however they wanted to, to deal with that. Now. Uh, it's possible to do a, a certain a limited type of extensions um, on iOS and f- photo editing extensions is one of them. Uh, key third party keyboards are another and Safari extensions are another. And this is this is really interesting. Now, Apple, you know, when I first saw this and I and to a degree, this is still uh, somewhat true. And I felt like, wow, this is good. Apple is going back on the word of, of Steve Jobs, right? Because he was so against this type of thing. And, uh, and to a degree, that's true. Now, they have done it in a way that's very, very secure. And, um, and, and, but they're doing it right. Extensions, John, are out-of-process services. They're basically a new, in developer terms, they're a view controller, Right. They they do not get access to the data in your application, even though they appear to to live inside of another application. They don't actually get access to any data that you haven't specifically given them. So in the, in the case of a photo uh, thing, you you say, I want this extension to mess with this photo and then it can do it. Right. But it can't get at all your other photos in that application. It can only mess with the one thing that, you know, you as the user have said Yes, I bless you to do this one thing and then even that not again. All right. So is it similar? Because if you use iOS, what you see now is a lot of times when an app wants access to a system wide resource, it'll say, oh, can I access your camera roll, please? Can I access your contacts? Is is it similar to that or is it, is it going deeper than that? Or it, It's going far more granular than that, but it's a similar type of thing, right? When an okay. app, when an app says, I want access to your contacts, you're giving it access to all of your contacts forever, right? It, you know, whereas with an extension, you are giving the extension access to a specific piece of data in a one time use capacity. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. But it yeah, makes so it's a fine, finer grained. Uh, yeah. All right. Sounds finer grained. And on application, but because the, all the other things are, are system, mm-hmm. you know, uh, OS level services that are Apple approved. This is now. So it's kind of allowing third parties to do what app it, before only Apple. That's ex- that's exactly a great way to put it. Yes. It allows third parties to do things on on a mostly equal level playing field with with what Apple's built in OS services can do. That's exact. That's a great way. And that's, that's kind of where I want to go with, with this whole discussion is just talking about what the implication is to 
the user, right? So Safari extensions have full access to the DOM, the DOM, the document object model, which is essentially everything on the web page. But you have to, again, you have to, if you have a web page up and you want to use some Safari extension, you have to, you know, go to the, I think it's the share menu or whatever it is and say, I want this extension to be used on this web page right now. And then it will do whatever that extension is. But in the future, if you want that same extension to be used, even on that same website, you know, tomorrow, you have to grant it permission again to answer a question in the chat room. And I'll say hello to everybody at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Would this mean that something like, say, LastPass could work inside of Safari for iOS? And the answer is almost certainly yes. Uh, I had the opportunity to talk briefly with the folks at 1Password and they, again, this was hours after the keynote, so uh, they had not yet done any work on it. However, based on their understanding of the fact that it basically gives the application access to the, the DOM, the whole source of the page, uh, they felt like not only was it doable, but they had already written a lot of the code because that's what the plugin for OS 10 does, right? Is it accesses the DOM and does its thing. So uh, they felt like they'd, they'd be able to start mocking this up internally, not for, not for us, but very, very quickly. And I, I won't share their predictions on time with you because it was a very loose thing, but, but they but very, very quickly. So yes, yes. It, it means that in theory, something like one password could work. A third-party keyboard, now if you think about this, it's still a little bit of a hack, but third-party keyboards are pretty cool, and they demoed some of those in the keynote, in my mind, immediately went to something like Text Expander, right? If Text Expander, if Smile Software releases a keyboard for OS X that bakes in Text Expander support, well, now you'd have Text Expander in every single app. Uh, it's still a hack because Text Expander doesn't need to be tied to a keyboard, and you couldn't use text expander with a second third party keyboard unless that keyboard also baked in text expander support. But, uh, but it is something it's, it's Apple loosening up in an appropriate way, but that keyboard doesn't have access to the data in your app. It's just a keyboard. It's a way to get data in, not a two way street. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to throw something into the ring here. Go. So number one, I don't know if it totally surprised me, but before the show, they're already, you know, like they had some banners up there that didn't leave anything to the imagination. Sure. So Yosemite was pretty much a given. iOS 8 was pretty much a given. Um, I got to say the presentations. So again, watching them from, from afar, um, I keep thinking Ferengi, but if Federengi is that, is that Craig Federighi? Federighi. Yeah. I always think Ferengi when I hear that name. I just translate it from my mind. But um, I got to say, he did a pretty darn good job. I I think he's he's grown, as of a lot of the Apple people. I mean, uh, Steve, I think, was was probably one of the one of the best presenters. Um, and there have been some duds, you know, in the past, Emilio and, and some of those guys there. But I think he did an outstanding job. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. You know, he, he baked a little humor in there. Some of it didn't go over too well. You know, he hung up on his mom, which, oh, come on, man, don't hang up on your mom. But, uh, you know, I think he, he uh, you know, kept things going. Uh, I, I don't think he fumbled maybe one one or two verbal fumbles, but he kept things going. He had this incredible level of enthusiasm. 
Federighi has always been that way. It's interesting. We've we've yeah. not seen him own as much of an Apple presentation as he did at, at WWDC this year. But it was like ninety percent of it. I mean, yeah, which is like appropriate. It's yeah, because sure. he's the guy now that that kind of heads up all the the software stuff. So it, he has he has often, especially in recent years since Bertrand Soleil, uh retired, he has been the one really in charge of the whole you know platform state of the union. And so developers that have been there several years have seen Craig many times. But but yeah, no, this is the one of the first time. I mean, he's he's been on stage in front of the public before, but not. He didn't. It, the presentation, what like you said, he did most of it. And that, that was good. Yeah, no, he's a good, he's a good yeah. presenter. Yep. I'd like that. Um, I was surprised there wasn't more Phil. I mean, Phil is still working for Apple, right? Phil but, uh, is, <laughs> Phil is head of marketing, right? So <laughs> okay. Phil should not be at WWDC. Well, I mean, he, he doesn't, you know, he, he'll be there when they do a, a new piece of hardware, right? Sure. It, again, you know, you got to look at what this is for. They did it for the oh, first no, time, I, perhaps ever. They did the presentation with the people that they should have done as opposed to just saying, well, put Steve Jobs on stage. Right. You, you know, I mean, I realize it's been several years than, since he's been at WWDC, obviously, because he passed away. But um, but it's good. It's Apple's, you know, they've got a, a team and they use the people at the right times. I'm sure we'll see Phil in the fall. No doubt. I also found out this week that Phil's a uh, fellow drummer. I hadn't realized that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. But yeah, but but there is but because I would say the nature and then, you know, I'm taking a, I don't know, more a holistic view here. The nature of because a lot of people ask, what is the nature of WWDC? Now, one could be, well, Worldwide Developers Conference. Duh, it's for developers. But they weren't really targeting the presentation totally to developers, I would say. And they can't. There, were, there was media and there were. You know, you could call them fanboys or you could call them Apple enthusiasts who were also watching this. So, so they had to carefully balance yep. how they presented the developer stuff. And they did get into some hardcore development stuff, which I think put some people to sleep. I, I was totally excited about it. And I'll talk about it a little later. But uh, I think they balanced it very well between all the audiences that they expected to consume this. They did. They did. All right. Uh, a couple of other back into the nitty gritty stuff here. Uh Continuity, which is sort of Apple's name for all of their uh, integration uh, uh, technologies. Time. Yeah, the things that, that allow, <laughs> right, that allow iOS and OS 10 to, to speak better. Handoff being one of them, uh, where you can start a document on one machine or, or device and then seamlessly or as seamlessly as possible continue working on it on another one they use the example of starting an email on one of your devices and then finishing it on you know on another uh and that 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 is there i haven't tested it myself but what i found out was in case it wasn't clear in the keynote continuity is open there is an api for that so developers get to use it right away uh, if they want and, and integrated into their stuff. So again, that's something it's not just going to be Apple apps. And there's a, that's a, a theme here that we saw. Apple introduced a lot of new features and on, you know, kind of day one also opened the door to, uh, to, to developers to do the same thing. In fact, you know, kind of looping back on extensions. One thing that Apple did was uh, they created this thing called, uh, called, well, iCloud drive, but, but also, um, cloud kit, which allows developers to, so they opened up the file system, right? And, and now finally on your Mac, you're, you're, you're blessed to do this with Yosemite and on iOS. When you go to pick a file, 
you can actually pick files from other apps. You don't just have the, the view of here's the, the files that this app can see. Now, again, this happens out of band of the application. So applications can't just start in the background going and reading files from other apps. It has to be user intent. So you get this little file picker dialog up and you can say, okay, here's the files in, in the app that I'm in, or I want to pick files from another app, right? And so you go to the other app, these apps, it's a very short piece of code, but the, every app has to say, I want my apps files to participate in the file pickers. So say uh, infinity blade, which is a game wouldn't want its documents available in the file picker. Cause it doesn't really make sense to have people opening, you know, some P list file that has your high score in it, but you know, an app like Microsoft Excel might want to do that so that other apps can pull in Excel documents. And that way your file picker is not going to be crowded with irrelevant uh, data sources. But once an app, once a developer says, yep, I, I'll, I'll participate, that's all it takes. And then the OS kind of takes over and you say, okay, I want to go pick a file from Excel and you go and pull it. And again, just like with the extensions, it's giving a one-time grant to that, uh, to that one file. And uh, depending on how it's done, it can either be non-destructive or, or you can make changes in a, in kind of an interesting way. But, uh, but that, that's how that's going to work on top of that though. So Apple did this, right? Which is awesome. It's something we've all wanted, but on top of that, they also said, Oh, Hey, and by the way, uh, if you also have your own cloud service, uh, you can write a plugin that will allow people to access stuff uh, on your cloud in this from the same dialogue and they showed box.net and OneDrive. They didn't show Dropbox in the keynote and people were really concerned about it. But the, <laughs> but the thing is anyone, it doesn't even, it, I'm sure Dropbox will write an extension. Nothing would stop them from doing that unless they choose not to. But even if Dropbox doesn't write an extension to allow Dropbox into the, uh, the file picker there, someone else could, it, it's just you just authenticate with Dropbox and you're done. Dropbox has their own API. So, I mean, I say any of us, I don't know that I'd be able to do it. Maybe you'd be able to do it, John. But, you know, it is possible mm -hmm. for anyone to write the, the all the tools are available for anyone to write a Dropbox extension. So this means enterprises, anything like that. Where I mean, if you've got a web dev server at your office where you move files back and forth, you could write a web dev plugin specifically to connect to your office and now you've got access to all those files right there in any app on iOS. So that's, that's huge. And again, that also kind of goes, that whole paradigm goes back on the word of jobs, but it wasn't just, Hey, here's a, uh, you know, a file picker for the, the data that's on your iPhone. It's like, there's your, here's a file picker and developers, you can write one too, which is just awesome. Which I think, again, I think it's great. And again, it happens all out of band. So it's not the applications don't get access. It's the OS saying to the user, Tell me what you want to give, you know, what file you want to give to this app and I will hand it to it. So it, it, there's a security layer that's really well done, which I like. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I want to step back and then I want to step forward. So I want to step back and then you mentioned, mentioned continuity. Yeah. Some of the key features of that that really impressed me yep. were the other aspects of it, which uh, I don't think you intentionally didn't want to mention, but I, I thought I'd mention. Sure. Phone calls, dude. Sharing sure. phone calls. From your Mac with your iPhone, very cool. SMS sharing, an instant hotspot. To me, that is some pretty cool engineering. Now, some may state that, yes, you can already do this with Android, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yes, you can, but the Mac being able to do it, awesome. I mean, when I saw 
the Mac and, and they had in the demo the Mac being able to do phone calls from your iPhone on the Mac. I'm like, Oh, now there was so there was some company that did that. It wasn't via Apple, but it was some company. I wanted Net Net was it Netphone? It was there was some piece of software you could run on your Mac and 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 tether your your phone to your Mac. It, it, this was way before the iPhone. I mean, this is you know ten plus years ago. But uh, but yeah, it was nice to see that back and obviously officially Apple supported only Apple supported though. Right. But making the two of them, because for the longest time, we've seen a lot of people shake their fist saying, oh, my gosh, Mac OS is becoming too iOS like in this case. I think it's awesome because they're bonding them at a fundamental networking and hardware level. You know, phone calls, SMS, hotspot. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, again, I mean, rather than connecting my Mac to my hotspot, I, I just, you know, plugging it in. Uh, so I think that's great. And it's great. The, uh, and the feature. Uh, and one feature that I think is uh, awesome, and actually I think our, our esteemed uh, <laughs> Jeff Gamet made this comment here. So the improved spotlight in Yosemite, he was like, uh-oh, it looks like Apple may have Sherlocked Google. Right. Which if you understand that reference, then you've been doing the Mac thing for a long time. Sherlocking something, meaning Apple has kind of absorbed the functionality of a third-party product into the OS, which... It's happened once. It's happened twice. It, it's going to happen. It's going to keep but happening. I, I yeah. thought it was a good thing because when I saw the new spotlight, I was like, wow, this is like, again, they're, 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 you know, kind of <laughs> saying, hey, Google. Yeah, come on. <laughs> All right. So uh, digging in here, a uh, quick thing about notifications. You saw that there's interactive notifications just again. And this is, you know, as I'm watching these sessions, I try to take notes about things that I really think will be uh, of of importance for users to understand, especially when the when there are limits on what the developers can do, and and notif interactive notifications is one. So there are three places that an interactive notification can happen. One is on the lock screen, one, and again we're talking about iOS here. So one is on the lock screen. One is in the notification center, kind of pull down menu from the you know at the, at the top of the screen or the little drop down if it's happening right there. And then the third is what's called a modal notification, which is the thing that pops up and, and sort of interrupts you and you have to deal with it until, you know, before you can move on um, in the first two. So lock screen and notification center developers have two buttons that they can wire up any way they want. That's it. So if you're wondering why Facebook doesn't have like comment and share, it's because there's only two that can be wired up on the lock screen and in notification center in the modal dialogues, developers can use up to five. So that's that. And that may just help kind of, uh, you know, understand some frustrations or confusion as, as things move on. So I wanted to, I wanted to throw that out there. Uh, another interesting thing is the, um, this one blew me away, John, um, in Safari right now. So you go on your Mac, right? And you use iCloud Keychain, and 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 I'm going to use an example. You go to, what, go you, ahead. Okay, you go. <laughs> I I know you don't. Um, but but it, frankly, yeah. that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So um, so in Safari, you go to Mac Observer and you sign up for an account, and it saves your password, which is great. Uh, you go to the uh, you go to you know, and it saves it in iCloud keychain, which means that when you go on your iPhone or your iPad into Safari and you go to log into Mac observer, it says, Hey, you want to use your password? You say, yes, great. 
Good to go. And then you launched, launched the Mac Geek Gab app. And inside the app, you were forced to type your username and password, the second half of which you may not ever even have seen, let alone remember. And now you've got to go and dig and find that password and do that. And, and this is true of Yelp and pretty much everything except Twitter and Facebook because they've got those logins kind of tied into the OS. But everything else, any third-party app where you have a web account with that same f- service, you, you're stuck with this this ridiculous situation where you know your device knows the password, but the app doesn't have access to it. That goes away in iOS 8. It's short. There's literally like four lines of code and a little thing you have to do on your web server to uh, sync it all up. And then you add a, a um, uh, an, an entitlement to your app's description. But, but again, it's, it's fairly simple stuff happens in an hour or less for a developer. And, um, now what will happen when you, you know, once the app is rebuilt for this or it adds this, this little bit of code, instead of seeing the login screen, you will see a thing that says, Hey, uh, do you want to let this app use your credentials for MacObserver.com? And if you say yes, it's done, that's it. It logs in, uses those credentials and gives the app a permanent revocable, of course, but permanent link to that one entry in your iCloud keychain so that it can use that and log you in anytime you want again user has to grant that permission and you can revoke it at any time uh and it will be revoked if you delete the app as well uh just as an fyi that i think that's more for developers testing it but it is the right it's the right move from a security model as well but i thought that was just huge because that's so frustrating like you know yelp or whatever you download the app and you're like oh i don't know my account so then you just go back to the website forget about the app that's bad it shouldn't have to be that way so so I wanted to share that because that I find that pretty cool. Right? Good. I like it when you yep. share. Mail drop, uh, which they talked about, I believe, in the keynote, John, where uh, if you're going to send an attachment that's too large for your mail server, it will actually upload it to Apple's server. Um, if you have, and then just put a link in the email, if the recipient, which is great, right, solves this big problem, uh, and you can send attachments up to five gigs. If the recipient has an Apple device, you're good to go. It's just going to automatically pull down that data and, and you're, you're golden. If the recipient doesn't have an Apple device, you just get a link uh, to download or, or is not using an Apple mail uh, program because you could have an Apple device and be using something like Thunderbolt or Altamail or any of those things. So that's, uh, that's a good thing. iOS 8 tracks battery usage by app. You know how we've got data usage by app and all of that stuff in uh, and space usage by app, you know, you got cellular data usage and then also storage usage by app in iOS seven, iOS eight adds battery usage by app, um, which, huh. be, yeah, thank goodness. Well, because OS 10 does that. So it, it, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, o, that iOS is borrowing something from OS 10 because OS 10 yep. has an energy consumption category. Now. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah, it's funny. It's uh, going the other way around. And and as far as the uh, the iCloud attachment thing, that's another thing where we've seen this before. Uh, yep. Most notably, I'd say you send it, which basically you're, you're sending yeah. an attachment by HTTP, but integrating it with the email, which you could have done with, you know, I, I think a lot of these guys would offer plugins for major mail clients. But yeah, but if you wanted to, to send see them embracing it because email you know, I mean, we, we've shook our fist at people to try to send large files via email. Mm-hmm. Email's not meant for that. Well, they, they kind of figured out how to 
yeah deal with that it's like well now you can and it's built into the to the mail client that's awesome it is yep um i mentioned before that uh apps can choose whether or not to publish their documents with you know in, for all apps to see but uh and and some apps won't and some apps it doesn't make sense to but there was the example discussed where uh, you can access documents inside of uh, the iCloud drive. And, and one of the examples was you could save the state of, say, your chess game and email that state to a friend. Uh, documents are seen as whatever the user would understand as a single standalone entity. So that means packages and all of that stuff are synced as documents. And and this is important, actually. The iCloud daemon the service that runs your iCloud document syncing has been rewritten on top of what Apple calls cloud kit now. And that means that if you are running Yosemite, the beta, and you might get access to the public beta later this summer, if you want, uh, if you're running that, you cannot sync your iCloud documents will not sync with any Macs running Mavericks. I don't know what that means when Yosemite is released. It may also mean that if you update just one machine to Yosemite, you've now broken iCloud for yourself. I don't, I don't know that for a fact. I'm just saying mm. right now they are, there are two different things because cloud kit is this other thing. And the iOS eight beta, you have a choice to stick with the old or the new I, I'm told I have not installed the, the iOS eight beta yet, but, uh, but cloud kits an interesting thing because um, not, it's not just something for Apple to use. And this is again, where things get really interesting with, with what Apple's doing. Cloud kit is Apple running a server for developers. So again, they're taking away these pain points developers for years. If they wanted to run any kind of, you know, backend database or push notifications or anything like that, they had, to, had to run their own server. And this has actually created quite a few, uh, I'll say cottage businesses, of course, you know, Joe Pazella just sold uh, uh, Push Iota Oracle probably uh, days with days to spare before Apple released CloudKit because now um, for free you can use you can host your backend stuff on CloudKit. So it means that any developer can do push notifications now, um, and it's it, it's interesting how they're doing things. You can do. Um, long running queries on the server as a subscription. So, uh, and, and then have that data pushed. It's free for up to, for any developer, for any app, it is free for up to a petabyte of assets, which they said is 10 billion photos. So I, I, I wonder if somebody's going to come up with a way to, to leverage that, um, and, and have a photo storage service, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean it just has to be photos. That was just an example that they, uh, that they came out with. So, but it's good. It you know, it's not again, it's nice to see Apple developing stuff for them to use and then saying, Oh, hey, by the way, yeah, go ahead. You can, you know, developers, here's a set of uh of frameworks and you can leverage this stuff to any way you want. And and if they do have to store more than a petabyte or have more bandwidth than Apple's huge allotments allow them for free, uh developers can still use it. They just pay Apple and and the pricing seemed pretty reasonable for, for developers, which is good. So it's good. You wanted to say something about betas, John. So I will throw it to you before I, before I finish up this WWDC thing with a couple of, a uh, couple of little right. tidbits. Something I wanted to say is, so as some of you may know, um, Apple has now given, I think the first million uh, people that sign up the opportunity to check out 
Yosemite beta. But that's not out yet, right? You can sign up, but you can't get it yet. Right. I think it's only registered developers can get it currently. Okay. But if you're a registered developer, like I'm already running, um, you know, the latest uh, uh, preview build uh, or what we'll call the developer preview. So Mm -hmm. I'm already running that. I'm concerned about this because I've already seen um, some things in my Twitter feed and other, other feeds here where I think you have to manage people's expectations here. Now, some people may think that a beta and if you're not a software person, you may not know what a beta is, you know, beta. Oh, it's, you know, it's a letter of the Greek alphabet, you know, okay. Maybe it means it's not pretty. It's a, no beta. And, and I just want to say this to people that are thinking of downloading either becoming part of the developer program, which at 99 bucks now, I mean, almost, you know, there's almost nobody that can't sure. And downloading the preview or becoming part of this program. There's a reason it's called beta. Uh, all I will say is, Beta has the potential because it's not released software. Beta has the potential to destroy everything. And do not laugh when I say this. I'm, I'm being very serious about this. If you're installing this on a system that you use day to day, you're asking for it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, and you're also um, asking for all your third party apps to break. Right. And, and you should be surprised by every single app that runs well. No, seriously, because developers haven't. Even impressed. That's right. Developers saw this a week ago today, a week ago, Monday, developers got their hands on this. So, you know, and I'm already shocked that I've seen some developers have already released updates that offered, you know, preliminary Yosemite support like Little Snitch did. Like, that's freaking awesome. But it's that we should be impressed by it, not expecting it at this stage of the game. Because I even saw. So in my feed, I I saw someone who, uh, you know, does a lot of Apple work, tweeted, uh, retweeted something from someone saying, hey, VMware, um, your product doesn't work under the Yosemite beta. Um, When are you going to fix this? To me, this person has to carefully review um, what a beta means. Yeah. I have no expectation that all of my stuff will work. And in fact, as you said, Dave, I think I have an expectation that everything's going to crash and burn and maybe destroy my hard drive. That's right. And maybe other things, uh, not burn my house down, but I I just want to impress this upon people. Beta is beta, no matter if it's a Mac OS 10 or developer preview. Uh, I, my strategy, and actually I was very impressed how this worked because my experience has not been as smooth in the past, Dave. So I downloaded part of the developer program. I downloaded the installer. Yep. You know, it gives you a coupon code. It puts in your app store. I ran it. I had an external USB drive. And actually, this is usually not my experience with installing Mac OS X. Uh, it said, oh, you want to install this on your external drive? Sure. It installed it. It did like a, a you know, pre-flight. And installed it, then it rebooted, and I'm like, okay, here's where things are going to go south. No, it was like, oh, okay, I'm completing the install on your external drive. Yeah. Here you go. And the thing is, right now, I have a I have a drive that has a fresh install of the developer preview and uh, Xcode 6.1, which is the one that has Swift. Sure. Which is the other thing I want to talk a little bit about, because I think it's very important. So some people may have been rather surprised. Well, not in that Apple Xcode supports Objective-C, which is not a language that is very popular outside of Apple circles. In fact, I, I think almost nobody uses it except for people that write apps for iOS or OS X. That's right. And then all of a sudden they come along with Swift. And at first I was like, oh, guys, do we need another language? But then as they dug into it, 
it kind of made sense because the thing is C is a wonderful language in that it lets developers do almost anything they want. The bad news is that it lets developers do almost anything they want. And I was impressed with both the, uh, the, so three things very quickly and then we'll move on. So one, I was impressed with where they showed a a bunch of code that was done in objective C and they said, Hey, guess what? Uh, And I I think this is referred to as a design pattern. I think you touched on this too, Dave. They were like, here's four lines of code in objective C. Guess what? It's one line of code in Swift. And I'm like, that's cool. Then at one point they put up a slide saying, okay, see all these disastrous things you can do with C like go to fail. You can't do this in Swift. It's just not possible. And I'm like, okay, that's good. And then the third thing was, uh, was it Playgrounds, they called it? Trying yeah, to the yeah there's Playgrounds in Xcode now, yes. And that, to me, was impressive because Playgrounds, typically, if you can run code live, um, that yeah. to me implies the benefits of an interpreted language. which is That's a language not limited that is, to Swift, though. right? No, I, I understand that. Okay, uh, I just wanted to make uh, sure you knew. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, no, I, I was just impressed that the environment incorporates both the benefits of, and maybe this isn't new, I haven't done a lot of Xcode, but it incorporates benefits of both being able to run your code interactively and see what happens, but also the benefits of compiled code. Yep. Uh, but 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 when when they showed the demo interactively of like, oh, let me change the variables and let me see what happens here, that's typically not a feature of a lot of development environments. Typically, you have to compile the code and then execute it and see what happens. Whereas here it was interactive. So to me, the takeaway from that is that they're going to allow people to write code. That's not going to screw everything up, but also write better code quick, more quick, more quickly, yeah, more quickly. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, you know, I've talked to uh, several developers out there about Swift versus objective C. And I, I think in general, people understand that and agree that Swift is it's good that Apple is taking the responsibility and the lead of creating, you know, the next language for, for us slash developers to use um, the, the way that they were selling it didn't exactly resonate. In fact, the, the first point that you used where they said, well, yeah, you know, these four lines become one line. The reality is that Xcode uh, and most, as most development environments do have autofill, right? Where, you know, you start typing, you hit escape and it, it, it fills in mm-hmm. the whole thing for you. So four line, it's not as though programmers are actually typing all those four lines. It's still filling it in. And one thing is for sure, Xcode is pretty, or sorry, objective C is pretty easy to read because it's so verbose and Swift takes a lot of that and, and, and consolidates it down and coalesces it down. So I'm not entirely convinced that that is the best reason to convince pe- that that that's not a reason that's going to convince developers to use Swift. Uh, but 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 again, it, there there are some great things about it. Like you said, um, it, you know, it, it, it stops you from making mistakes. It also uh, stops people from uh, from stating what type of variable things are. It's all very interpretive, right? You know, it says, oh, OK, we'll make this an integer. We'll make this a string. And that gets a, you know, there were a lot of developers that were like, eh, that, I don't know about that. Well, you know? If, if done properly, because that's one aspect of computer science that causes much grief in that you define a variable as signed, unsigned, you know, right. 16-bit, 32-bit, whatever. Right. And then another part of the code doesn't quite get it. And then it's disaster. Yeah. If, if the compiler and the environment can do it properly, that's that true. eliminates a whole hurdle that software engineers for ages have had to deal that's with. That's a good so, point. 
That's a good point. No, I, I, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. One thing is certain, though. Apple has made it clear that Swift, they, they've basically said the entire language is deprecated. And, and by that, they've said anything can go away at any point in time. So they will be changing things about it, or at least they have reserved the right to change anything without going through a full announcement and deprecation process. Typically with, with something like Objective C, where it's a, a, a mature language, you've got a lot of code running on it. Uh, and this is true of a lot of things. My sequel, I mean, everything is this way where as it's, as it, as iterations and new versions of it come out, there will be things where they say, okay, well, we're, uh, not going to be using this anymore starting in two years. And so you should use this other way of doing things and migrate your code over when you have a chance. And that just gives developers a chance to, you know, to, to keep up and catch up without being totally, you know, blindsided Swift. They they've said, we reserve the right to change anything at any time oh, for a while. And they will at some point say, okay, now we're done. Now we'll now we'll treat this like, uh, uh, you know, the language uh, it should be. So but it was just good because they need to let developers have feedback and they need to do things very, very quickly. So I don't know how no. many developers are going to commit themselves to using Swift uh, for large projects. Certainly, I don't expect anybody to convert things to Swift, probably starting new projects. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting. All right. I well, got also, a- I'm I'm curious if they're going to even uh, involve standards bodies in this. I mean, is is because uh, Objective C was uh, I don't think it was an I mean it was mostly an Apple only thing. Well, it was Next is, is what it was, right? I right. Mean, but but I think it was a language with some yeah. acceptance or, or maybe right. not. And no, I don't no, know if there's going to be an Apple only thing, or if they're going to try to you know allow people outside of the Apple ecosystem to use Swift as well. That'll maybe. be that that'll, that'll be see. interesting. Yeah. All right, I got a couple more things for you, John. Um, number one, the new font that we have. We had Lucida for years as the default font in uh, in OS X and, and, and iOS, I believe. Uh, there is a new font, and it is Helvetica Noia is how it is pronounced. N-E-U-E is... Oh. Yes. It's been around for a while. Well, I know. Yeah, but that's the new, that's the new display font. Um, so, and it I is... I like it. Yeah. Helvetica Noia, it's the font in Yosemite, regular size of 13, if anybody, it's Helvetica Noia desk interface, uh, regular size 13 is, is where it starts. So there's that. And then I have one last thing for you, John. Actually, I have, I have two things. Uh, one I want to mention quickly, um, MIDI over Bluetooth is now going to be possible with Mac or iOS and Mac or iOS can be the master or the slave. So you pair a device. You could have a keyboard uh, app on your iOS device and treat that like a MIDI keyboard on your Mac. You pair them up via Bluetooth. And then when you run the app uh, and it's configured the right way and configured by the developer the right way to advertise this as a service, uh, it will show up in your Mac's audio MIDI setup. So you've got the ability and, and it's not, and you know, the beautiful part about MIDI is when we think about it as a keyboard or an instrument, I could say have a uh, sound effects app running during Mac Geek Out. I'm not saying that we're going to add all sorts of slapstick sounds. Don't worry about that, but just bear with me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I could have a sound effects app running. And when I wanted to trigger a sound, 
instead of having to dig on my Mac and find the window, I could currently use a MIDI keyboard to trigger that, right? And know that when I hit, you know, C on the MIDI keyboard, it, it does a bird whistle. And when I do D, it's a, you know, vibra slap or whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, now you could treat your iPad or even your phone as that keyboard using this MIDI over Bluetooth thing, which is pretty cool. It, it just adds it to audio MIDI setup and becomes a a MIDI device your Mac uh, wouldn't even know or the application on your Mac wouldn't even know that that's how that was working. So that that's, that's number two. And then number three, John, you are a lost fan. Yes. You were a lost fan. You watched the TV show lost. I, I have the entire collection on DVD and Blu-ray. Awesome. And you've watched it, right? I, I know this. I'm, I'm just, I'm just I watched every single it. episode and I've actually rewatched them. I, okay. I, I don't know if I'm entirely uh, satisfied with the conclusion. But, well, we're not going to uh, worry about the conclusion. It was a good run. Yeah. Anybody that watched even just three or four episodes of Lost probably knows uh, about this thing. So um, Bonjour Sleep Proxy is an, uh, uh, a service that runs on your Mac. And it is the thing. We've talked about what it does before. When your Mac, if you're sharing a file, or, you know, sharing your hard drive or sharing your printer from your Mac and your Mac goes to sleep, if you have an airport uh, base station or an Apple TV on your network, uh, those will take over the job of advertising the fact that your Mac, even though it's asleep, has these services available to make it seem like your Mac is on and available, which is great. And then when you uh, when you try to connect to it from another computer, It'll go and actually wake up your Mac and then hand off the request. So it's all happened seamlessly and it's awesome on your Mac, though, a service needs to run uh, that tells the airport or the Apple TV to do this. And it's called Bonjour Sleep Proxy. And it has to wake up um, at a set interval in order to, um, uh, to to remind the Apple TV or the, the airport base station that, yes, I'm still here and I still want to advertise this service. Because otherwise they might be advertising it forever, even if you took the machine off the network and that might get a little weird. And Apple had to pick a uh, a time interval for at, at which the machine would quickly wake up and broadcast itself and then go back to sleep. <sighs> and so they picked because they were lost fans in that engineering group. A hundred and eight minutes for that thing, which was 108 minutes was the amount of time on lost time interval. Yes, it was the amount of time on lost. You had to press the button before the, 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 the uh, catastrophe before catastrophe <laughs> happened. Right. Yeah. So I thought I would share that. That's a, that was just, I, I knew you would appreciate that, John. So I figured I'd share that with you. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I know. Yeah. I remember our, our pal Desmond was there in the, in the hatch. And exactly. Every 108 minutes. You had to press the button. You have to press the button. As it turns out when he didn't press the button. Well, we don't want to spoil it for anybody. Something different happened when yes. he didn't press the button. That's, that's all I'm going to say. That's right. All right. Uh, I do want to, now that we're done with the, uh, the, are we done with the WWDC stuff, John? Because we've got some questions to go through. I believe we are. Yes. Right. I want to talk stuff. about our, our second stuff. sponsor for the show, which is, as I mentioned, connected data with transporter. And uh, they're doing some cool things for us. It, it, and when I say us, I, I, I mean that in two ways. Number one, I mean it in terms of us, the Mac Geekab community, because they've got some coupons that I alluded to at the beginning of the show just for you. But they're also they've done some cool things with their iOS app. So Transporter is private cloud. And what does that mean? It It is a place that you can store your data and access it any time you want, no matter where you are, as long as the device 
both devices, whatever device you're accessing from and the transporter have power and internet. Okay. So something like Dropbox is a, is a great analogy to think about, right? Because Dropbox, you store your ser- your data on Dropbox's servers in the cloud somewhere, and you don't know where that is, and you don't know who has access to it or who's poking around in there. Transporter, the cloud is at your house or office. You get a device called the transporter, and there's ma- there's a couple different models, and we'll talk about that. And you plug this into your network at home, and then your devices, your Macs, your iOS devices. All can access and your Windows machines too can access that transporter, whether they're on your network or off your network. It's, it, it advertises itself over the Internet as well. But the data is always stored locally and you can sync files. Uh, if you love Dropbox, you would love transporter even more. Not only is it way more secure, uh, it's also cheaper because you're not paying an annual fee. You just buy the device. So uh, there are two types of transporters. Uh, one is the regular transporter, which has a drive in it, uh, and you can get it in half a terabyte, one terabyte, or two terabyte capacities. And prices range from one ninety nine to three forty nine. Coupon code MGG ten gets you ten percent off. That's MGG one zero gets you ten percent off of any of those. So on a, a two terabyte transporter, you can save thirty five bucks on their three forty nine price, and that's at filetransporterstore dot com. The other thing they have is the transporter sync. This is a transporter without a drive, but it's got a USB port. It sells for 99 bucks. Coupon code MGG20 gets you 20 bucks off of that. So you get it for 79 bucks and uh, and you plug a USB drive into it, your USB drive, it formats it and away you go. Uh, so that's one set of cool things that they're doing. The, the other cool thing that they're doing for us and by us, I mean anyone using a transporter the iOS app now has been updated to back up all of your photos and videos, essentially anything in your camera roll, you can set it to back up to the transporter and you can do this from multiple devices and, uh, and it works great. And it, even when I come home, I see a little notification when I join my, my local Wi-Fi network, I see it say, Hey, we're on your Wi-Fi network now. Uh, cause it's not going to back up, uh, over, over cellular. I think I could set it to, but I'm not really interested in, in backing up all my, uh, my data over cellular data because it would cost me a lot of money. Uh, but so I have it set when I get home on my Wi-Fi network it says, Oh, I'm, I'm on Wi-Fi. I'm going to go back up all your data, all your uh, photos. And it just does it in the background, which is really, really cool. So you've got this backup local that you can access and get to. So, uh, so check it out. File transporter store.com is the place to go. Uh, all orders using the codes MGG one zero or MGG two zero will get free shipping. And uh, John, you, you, uh, you I don't want to uh, spend a ton of time on this, but, but you changed your workflow recently and added yet another aspect of transporter in. Why don't you tell us quickly about I that? I did Dave. So yeah. I have the original transporter as, as do you. And one of the features that they added in the recent software was a, uh, if you go in their app and go to the preferences, special folders, they will now let you sync the special folders. And what do I mean by that? Um, sync your desktop documents, pictures, movies, or music folders. The thing is, I was initially hesitant to do this because I wasn't sure what would happen, but I finally threw down the gauntlet and said, I'm going to do it, Dave. And I did it between my two machines here. And it's smart enough to create subfolders within your documents folder. So the thing is, basically, I now have a workflow where before I would directly connect to the other machine to upload a new document. Now what I do is I copy it 
to the documents folder, which is now synced between the two machines via the transporter. So very oh, nice. cool feature. Um, yeah, no, huh. it, it's great that they do that. And the thing is, Dave, I mean, my documents folder right now I'm looking here. I got a 77 gig, uh, at least on one machine here. The thing is I got a one terabyte mm-hmm. transporter. So plenty of space here. Right. So it, it, it gives me a, a great sense of comfort that I have, uh, I sync uh, some of these documents with other services, but it sure. gives me a great sense of comfort that it's also on my transporter in case uh, something terrible, something terrible. So, uh, very nice implementation well, once I <laughs> finally got over it. And once you trusted it. it. Sure. Great. Well, no, thank well, you for doing I, that. I thought I thought it was going to mush them together and right. that's what made me afraid. But then I, I read over, you know, I went to the support forums and all that and I, and I saw, okay, that's not going to happen. It's not going to mush everything together. It's going to isolate it per machine. So you can get yours from you can get yours from filetransporterstore.com again mgg10 for the regular transporter and mgg20 is your coupon code for the transporter sync filetransporterstore.com All right John take us to uh why don't you take us to Allison and uh and share her tip and then and then we'll go to Michael and then we'll we'll move on from there I'm going to take you to Allison, Allison uh, of the uh, Nocillacast podcast, one of our, our dear friends. A podcast with an ever so slight Macintosh buying. <laughs> That's what I hear. Uh, I, I still can't detect it. I don't know. Huh. I just don't get it. So, so basically, Allison wrote in with a concern, with a concern. I can agree with her, but uh, I'm, I'm going to try to uh, condense this. So she said in a prior show, you said that. Uh, one of your listeners, I believe it was Robert, uh, sent in a uh, an installer that, that he was concerned about and, and wanted you to check it out. And you had said that, well, because I know Robert and, you know, his name was in the email header and all that, I was OK with it. Um, and she brought up a valid point, I think, um, in that she said, that's not a good message to send just because you recognize the name of the person in the email, you know, in the from field. And I would agree with her. There were a number of other things that uh, clued me into the fact that this was, in fact, Robert, uh, the graphics guy, um, in that he CC'd someone else on the message. Um, he was referring to the type of work that he does and, and, and a number of other things. So uh, but I, I agreed with Allison in, in this case. <laughs> yep. No, she makes a good point. That the, just because the, it, you yeah. need you need some reason to believe that the person that sent this to you is who you thought and not just the from address. That's right. Right. Because it's very easy to spoof the from address. If you want to spoof the from address on, on an email, all you need to do is go into mail and edit your from address on an email and even the name and send out a message. Chances are it's going to work. If you're using a mail server like Gmail, it might not let you send from an address you haven't approved. But most mail servers will let you send mail out that way. And that that's a super easy way for any of us to spoof this stuff. Right. I don't tell you the, I don't tell you this to go and use it nefariously. I tell it to you so that you understand how simple it is. So there you go. Go ahead. Well, what I have seen and actually some of the people that are in our chat room, Dave, I have seen emails from. So the thing is, depending on how you were set up in Facebook. Yeah. I think they, in the past, they may still have, but the thing is, depending on how you publish your content, people may see you, they may be able to glean your email address and then see who your friends are. And I've gotten things like I'll, I'll give a reference here. One of our buddies in the chat room, I've gotten emails supposedly from Kenny saying, hi, John, check this out. 
and there's a web link. And I'm like, I don't think that's Kenny. <laughs> so, so be very careful. So, so the message here is if you see an email that's from someone that you know and you recognize the name, that's not enough. That's easily forged, as Dave pointed out. And unless you can bring other things into context, like the subject matter and all that, you know, especially if it's one of these, you know, hokey, you won't believe what happens next or check this out or meet hot girls or guys or whatever. It's like, yeah, that may not be legitimate. So thank you, Allison. Are we good? We're good. I'm good. Yeah. Take it. Take us to Michael. Along the okay, same lines, right? Michael. Yeah. In similar lines here. So Michael wrote into us and I'm, and I'm afraid Michael um, accidentally clicked on something he, he shouldn't have. And I'm, I'm bringing up his. Uh, well, Mike, Michael went to the website Zamzar to do a document conversion. And Zamzar is all online based. But Zamzar supports their service with uh, advertising some of which I'm sure they sell on their own, some of which they uh, farm out to remnant ad providers that allow people to target in at some level. And Michael clicked on an ad that looked like it was part of this Zamzar website for a document conversion uh, application for his Mac. It, you know, the ad was able to tell, yes, he's visiting Zamzar and yes, he's on a Mac based on his browser uh, identifier. So we're going to go ahead and target him with this and we're going to make it look like the Zamzar website. And what Michael downloaded was not a Zamzar conversion tool because one doesn't exist. It's only an online conversion, but that's what he was tricked into doing. And, uh, and I think you have some, some advice for him. So I, I tried to get you there yes. while you were looking it up. Go. Thank you. Sure. So I have it. So number one, and I've seen this on a number of websites. So if you see a big green download button, be very careful that it's actually from <laughs> the website that's offering it, not an ad. And some people have gotten really good at this. I I've almost been fooled, you know, surfing on legitimate websites where it says download this now. And it looks like it's part of the website, but it's not. So in my case, I was able to find out so he did send the installer, and yes, I trusted that this was an installer that I should check out. Plus, I kind of know what I'm doing here. But normally, you shouldn't, as we yep. just told you. Don't run the installer. But out of curiosity, I ran it, and I had the proper tools in place. So what happened is as soon as I ran this installer that he, he directed me to, it was redirecting to a site called installmac.com. And I'm like, well, that's kind of unusual. Installers usually don't reach out to websites before they install their software. As it turns out, installmac, I, I wouldn't say they're, I don't know what to say they are, Dave, but I, I'm not entirely comfortable with what they do. So apparently what they are is installmac is a company that will take other people's software and wrap it in their installer. And I've seen some instances of this. And, okay. and you probably have too. I think CNET is starting to do this and a couple of other people are starting to do this as well. Um, even Java does this and that you get an installer for a piece of software, but it's wrapped in something else. And, and that really kind of bothers me. So yeah. fortunately in this case, I sent him the instructions. So because I was running little snitch, which showed me this uh, errant or, or unexpected connection here, I was able to track down who was doing this. And then I even ran the installer again. I know what I'm doing. I'm a professional professional what <laughs> who knows but i'm a professional so i was able to do this and actually undo the damage here but apparently what these guys do is they put a wrapper around other people's software so the thing is it did in fact so it was it was advertising 
that we install a third-party media translator player. So, so I don't totally blame our friend for, for believing this, though um, I wouldn't have done it. But sure. um, the thing is, they do offer... So, so one thing is, once I did this, they do offer a way to... Un, uh, the problem is, number one, they will muck with your browser settings and change your default search engine and do some other stuff, which to me, that, that's not kosher. That's, that's not malware. Kosher. Yeah. Now, the thing is, they do, their installer does say, would you like to use our, similar to like when you install Java, it's like, would you like to run the Ask Browser thing? It's like, no. So in their defense, they do ask you, would you like to change your settings? And you can say no. But they do also install some components and all that. And they do give you advice also, if you dig in on their website, how to uninstall it. Uh, Now, the thing is, eventually install something, which as far as I can tell, is a legitimate app called Tomahawk. Um, and it does install that. Eventually, it reaches out to the you know open source site and it downloads the installer. So again, it's a wrapper around a legitimate installer. So it's questionable, you know, what what these guys are doing. But the thing is, if you want to get rid of it, so I told them if you do want to get rid of this tomahawk thing, which again looks to be legitimate, you can get something. And Dave, I've I've actually been pretty pleased with something called App Cleaner. It's at freemaxsoft.net slash App Cleaner, and that will for a free product pretty much clean up all the nastiness um if he doesn't want that thing and then i did actually find a uh, uh article at a site called malwaretips.com that will tell you how to get rid of all the damage that this uh install mac or i view it as damage all the stuff that they do behind the scenes if you do say yes i would like you to change my search engine to this so just a general tale of caution when you download an installer if it doesn't say it's from it did the thing is it did pass gatekeeper Apparently, these people who make this install wrapper, Dave, did uh, mm. sign it in that it didn't say, I don't know who this is. It did know who they were. So so they took that step. But but their practices, I would say, are questionable. So, yeah, uh, I want to before we move on, I want to briefly say it is freemaxsoft.net slash app cleaner. If you go to freemaxsoftware.net slash app cleaner, which is actually what you said, John, it will bring people to a bad spot, Whoops. but we'll put the right one in the show notes. Ooh. You're totally fine. I just wanted to make sure we got that out there. Um, so we had a couple of tips from recent shows, a tip and a, I think a tip and a question. The first tip from Karsten is a reminder to all of us to use a default folder and, and a specific reason that I never really thought about. Uh, he said default folder is one of my top three apps to install, install on a new Mac. If you're someone who stores all of your data on a Drobo or other network device, you know how difficult the Mac is when it comes to keeping a network drive connected. And we've talked about this in recent shows. Uh, he says the drive is no longer mapped or you have this document you need to save and the connection is gone. Default folder X, uh, default folder 10, can be set to detect any open file, open or save prompt, either by application or for all applications, so that next time your network drive is not mapped when saving your file, default folder X quickly connects and your folder is always available. So it will do the connection uh, inside the file open or file save dialog. So uh, that's... I. I uh, I don't know that I knew that about default folder. I'm, it seemed to make sense when... Uh, when I read it, but I certainly never used it that way. So we will put a link to that in the show notes and a nice reminder. Thank you, Karsten. Uh, and he has a question. Uh, and his question is, I have switched to have any and all data on my Drobo 5N 
Uh, and a def- and default folder 10 redirects all save prompts from my Mac to my Drobo. I use Lojack theft protection on my Mac and File Vault 2. My MacBook is just a tool to get things done without any real data on it. So my question is, have you seen or can you recommend an external Thunderbolt device like a high-speed USB stick that when inserted to the Thunderbolt port on another Mac can boot from that device? I access all my files via VPN when I'm on my road on the road. Uh, my goal is to insert my Thunderbolt Thunderbolt device and boot any Mac from it. Essentially, I borrow the hardware and the Mac OS. My apps and VPN settings are all stored on a bootable device, i.e. I visit Dave, borrow his iMac in the studio to boot my own OS, get my files. Now reboot Dave's iMac and eject the Thunderbolt device. And Dave's iMac is back to normal. So that's all possible. Uh, the problem with Thunderbolt is that it's uh, the, the the connectors themselves, the ports and the cables are very expensive. So, yes, it's fast uh, because it's it's it's, you know, one kind of one step below, if you will, the the USB um, or Firewire interface. It's not an interface. It is a direct connection to the bus. So you would have a SATA drive that had a SATA to Thunderbolt interface. And then now it's like plugging a SATA card into your motherboard. Um, but you've got to have that in there to do it. And, and on top of that, uh, I believe it's, it's the Thunderbolt consortium for lack of a better term. And I, which I think is run by Intel, but I think, I think even Apple is paying like 30 bucks a port. So th- these developer, um, Hardware vendors have Ooh. to pay. Yeah, it's not cheap. It's not like Firewire where it was a dollar a port, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's huge. It's that's, huge. No wonder they're so expensive. Huh. That's the thing, right? So that's um, been the fish shake I've seen against Thunderbolt, is relatively speaking, I mean, somebody's got to absorb got, that fee. You got to foot the and bill. It's the consumer. Every time. That's right. Yep. So, um, you know, I would. I, I, I'm, I'm going to give you some general advice and then I'm going to talk about a cool product I, I found that. It doesn't necessarily go against the, the, the advice, but may not be what you're looking for, but it's cool anyway. Um, it, for what you're talking about doing, where you really are just going to boot up and and do that, I would I would go USB. Um, get a device that'll do USB 3. But honestly, even over USB 2, you know, you're not talking about moving tons and tons of data. I would get an SSD-based USB two or USB three, which is backwards compatible to two device, because you're going to get most of your speed benefits of the SSD for this type of thing, regardless of the bandwidth available on the pipe. You know, you're just talking about booting up and then connecting to your VPN. So it's the boot up and you may not even care, right? You may not even care about it being SSD. You might be fine with it being rotational. Um, So, so bear that in mind. If cost is no object and you really do, want Thunderbolt or if you need something that's USB three or, or, or Thunderbolt. Uh, I had the opportunity last week to check out the new Lassie rugged. This is their portable drive, John, you know, the orange one, the kind of their iconic, uh, you know, portable I've two, seen and, it. two and a half what inch makes drive. It rugged Dave. Well, it's this orange thing. Well, it's a lot of things, right? So it's, it's got this, um, it's got this big orange. It looks like a life raft, right? But it's small. It, it you know, yeah. it's a two and a half inch life raft. Um, you can drop this thing from like six feet high and I did in my hotel room and it totally still functions, um, which is, which is cool. And, uh, and, and it's got USB three and Thunderbolt on it. In fact, their website doesn't even have the new drive uh, available. It, it has a cap that goes over 
what I will say, the ports before I explain one of the really cool features of it that keeps it mostly, I want to say water resistant. I don't, it's certainly not waterproof, (laughs) but if you were to spill something on this thing, uh, chances are you'd be fine. You you know, especially if it was a quick spill and you just kind of got it out of the way. It has a USB three port on it, which means it goes backwards compatible with USB two or obviously USB three. And it has a Thunderbolt cable built in to the design. Um, really cool. So it's the, the cable actually just wraps around the thing and then sort of tucks inside the, the drive. I put a picture of it in the, uh, the chat room. I'll put it in the show notes too. And uh, which, which is great because the thing that sucks when you're traveling is you're like, Oh, I forgot my cable. You know, you're scrambling around in your bag for a cable. You can find the drive cause it's bright and orange, right? And big. And the cable's like, well, which cable is it? They're all black. I don't know. This has the cable literally built into the drive. So you just plug it in and go. I tested the 500 gig SSD version and I posted some, some, uh, some black magic uh, speed test with it. It was doing like a, a 380 plus megabytes a second on this thing on my, on my MacBook air with uh, yeah. you know, Thunderbolt one. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, you know, to be fair, it's, it's not cheap. You're going to spend, um, you know, the, the one that I'm testing is uh, 500 bucks right? 499 for a 500 gig SSD. But it's got Thunderbolt built in. It's got USB three built in it. You can drop it from, you know, two meters high and it, you know, will repel spills. So for a portable thing, it's friggin' awesome. But, uh, you know, you're, you're paying more for for all of that for a one terabyte spindle drive inside there. You can get it for two twenty, right? Two nineteen ninety nine. So that's not that bad. Um, uh, two ninety nine gets you up to two terabytes and, and you can kind of do the rest of the math on your own. But, um, that's the, uh, it's cool with that cable built in. I like it. It's good. So, so there you go. That's what I got for you, Karsten. Um, we should play this so that, uh, we talked in the last show, John, about Threema versus iMessage and the security and several of you wrote in and pointed out a very obvious, um, flaw if you will, potential flaw, I'll say in iMessage security. And, and so here we, uh, here we go with that. I think, uh, <laughs> no, I got nothing. Zilch. How did that happen? John, what am I doing here? The big goose egg. I got, I got nothing. Can I, uh, if I were to like, you know, can I hear the band? If I, I can hear the band. Okay. That's good. All right. Hey, John and Dave. What happened? I can, I can hear it. I'll explain it if, if, if this fails. Hey, John and Dave. Yeah. So that audio files, that file's not going to play. Racer wrote in or called in and explained uh, that, you know, there's three mode, which we mentioned, which is a a paid app. I think it's a dollar 99 and iMessage. And we explained in the last show how iMessage shares your public keys around in a, in a bundle uh, so that when I send a message to you, John Apple sends me your bundle of public keys and and I encrypt for you. And then as it's in transit, Apple can't read it. It is totally possible that Apple could add their own public key to that bundle without me ever knowing. And therefore they could decrypt anything I send to you with, without my knowledge at all. They have said they're not doing this. But uh, but obviously it does 
present this opportunity for that attack. So, um, so thank you, Racer, for for pointing that out. And I'm sorry I couldn't play your message and enjoy a sip of tea while uh, while our listeners were informed. But uh, but you know, there you go. So uh, that is a great point. Uh, so, John, you want to go to James here before we before we yes, wrap I things do. up? I go. do. I second guessed you. Go. And then I had the item that. I knew you were going to tell me to read rather than the one I thought you were going to tell mm-hmm. me. So James writes us. Uh, so the two aspects to this uh, letter here. So one, James writes in, in, basically let us know that there is much that is hidden. I think I, I really got to coalesce this uh, uh, email here. So James writes us to let us know that there is kind of a secret aspect to the current airport utility. Uh, now, to put it in context, there was the old airport utility, the 5.6.1, which many people knew and loved. And then all of a sudden, Apple moved to a new, uh, more visually pleasing, perhaps, but less functional one. But as I said, there are, are parts of the new one that are hidden. How do you find this hidden functionality? And I think what he was trying to do, uh, so his task was how to identify the various devices that are connected to my airport and normally with the current airport utility dave you can't do that it's just not there how do you reveal this information you ask well if you run the airport utility it'll bring up a screen that'll show your various airports and then if you click once you will see a screen that gives you kind of a high level summary of what's going on and then there's an edit button here's what you do you hold down i believe it's the option key And when you click on the edit button, the next screen will then have a summary screen. Wow, that wasn't there when I normally ran it, and it won't be. And within the summary screen is then another screen that will show you, and I don't have one in front of me, shame on me. Um, But basically, I think it's a client list, is that it? I'm going to do it. Yeah, right. the DHCP give me, client give me list. Five, give yeah. me, no, no, no. Well, it's got, no wireless clients. All right. So the thing is, all right. So you run the latest airport utility. You click on your base station. You will see the edit button. If you hold on option, click on the edit button. You will see a summary screen within the summary screen. I got it. I'm quick. Yeah, good. <laughs> you will see a, you will see a wireless client screen. And within that will be every wireless client. That's connected to you. And right now I'm looking right now, for example, I see, and it will show you then the name of the machine, the name of the machine. In my case, it's JB MacBook pro connection rate, excellent data rate, IP address, hardware address, RSSI, which is the uh, signal strength and mode. And that helped him do what he needed to do. Normally that's not available in the utility. So that's point one. And I think that's a good one to, to, to know um, in general, if you want to find secrets within um, within a, a lot of Apple utilities, hold down option when you click on something and something unexpected may happen, I think, is, is, the, is the message we want to send here. I didn't realize that was there. That's awesome. Really? You hadn't seen that? I thought we had talked about this. No, maybe, I guess we hadn't. Maybe, yeah. No. But yeah, so so it gives you a, a deeper level of understanding. Now, the, the, the other thing, though, is that I, want, I, I shot back at him because I had heard rumor that... Um, the thing is, the newer airport utility still doesn't give you all of the nitty gritty right? Um, that the older one did, which is called uh, Airport Utility 561. Now, the thing is, normally, 
you can't run 561. If you download it and you try to run it, and actually if you if you download it and you unpack it and you look at the icon, it will have a circle with a line through it saying, no, you can't do this. Well, as we've discussed before, this is a lie and that you can do this. And I think the best uh, reference that I found to this here is I found a web page. Um, we will link to it in the show notes here, but it basically links to a special version uh, of Airport Utility 561 that includes the utility itself, but it also includes an Apple script that through some magic, which I can't begin to comprehend, I may, but I didn't look, Okay, it will run the older Airport 561 utility on Mavericks, which yep. you normally cannot do. It now, won't work with I, newer base stations, but it will work, work with the older ones. Uh, okay, so so there's a there's a, a barrier there, but the thing is, it ran with so the one that I got is a a, a, a kind gift, Dave the the fourth generation, which yeah. is a couple of years no, it'll, old. It'll it run with the older with ones. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. probably won't run with. So there's probably something in yeah with, with like the AC one, but basically this one, Dave. Uh, so one of the features that you cannot get, based on everything I've tried, you cannot get a list of all DHCP clients in the new utility, no matter what you do, even okay. if you do this special magic. Okay. They'll show you wireless clients, sure. not DHCP clients. But the old utility would let you find this. And then I think if you run the old utility using this uh, you know, special version, and then you click on wireless or, or you click on something in the summary screen, you will then get a list of DHCP clients. So... All right. Well, that's the good, good to news know, is, man. There is a way to run Airport Utility 561 on the old hardware on Mavericks. Sweet. That's good to know. Uh, you know, I had the band thought, uh, queued up and nothing. You, I don't know what's going on here. Let's see. Kind of unreliable there. Yeah. I can't play anything for more than about two seconds. So let's see if, uh, let's see if I can make that happen again. But, um, no, that's good. That's that's as it should be, right? So, uh, all right, come on, Dave. I need the band. I just, I, can't I know get my mojo. We the band. we all do. It's uh, we'll see how this comes up. I don't know what's going on. It was that was weird that we couldn't. Uh, there we go. Yeah, will it stay? Yeah, it will. Okay, so Only we could have heard Racer's tell. comment if I had rebooted. Uh, that app but you know that's all right okay feedback at macgeekgab.com is the address to which you can send anything you want for us comments questions tips uh really anything so there you go and remember if your memory is short dave said feedback at macgeekgab.com i said feedback at macgeekgab.com unless you're a premium listener in which case premium at macgeekgab.com is the address that you have access to and we certainly appreciate all of you who uh who choose to do that as well we appreciate everybody it's it's great that you listen it's uh we appreciate them a little more well they appreciate us a little more yeah that's (laughs) right yeah that's just how it works uh so that's premium at macgeekgab.com for those of you that that are uh, part of that and thank you to all of you who signed up uh, in this past week it's great it's really fantastic, actually. Where do they do that, Dave? Uh, MacGeekGab.com is where you can do that. You can find oh, links to the show notes. Everything. MacGeekGab.com is the place to go. Uh, and you can call us if you want. 206-666-GEEK, which John is? 4335. But Dave, you know where else you can go? Where can you go? 
there's this piece of software which I think we have mixed feelings about called iTunes. Yes. But through iTunes, you can get to uh, different podcasts, including Matt Geekab. And if you go to the podcast section and look for Matt Geekab, there's another thing you can do, Dave, that you can do, Dave. Which is? Ah, I'm so excited about this. You can leave a comment or a review. Why would you do this, you ask? Well, I don't know. Because you like us? Because we appreciate it. The community. We appreciate it. We hope you appreciate us. And it helps grow the community. Helps grow the community. Uh, 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 I'll tell you what. I don't know what's well, going on. Well, what else on. it does? It gets us on the scoreboard. That's right. The thing is, they're uh, based on, uh, I, I think Dave has uh, confided to me that uh, talking to some of the, the people that uh, know what's going on in the back end there, if there's activity like comments and reviews and stuff like that, that tends to get you off the get you board, which is great because that helps grow the community even further, which is good for us and good for you, right? It is. I wish I knew what was going on here. It's interesting, you know, since I put the SSD in this machine, we're learning about new limitations of the uh, of the hardware and what happens when you when you max out the CPU, although I'm not maxing out the CPU, so I don't know what the heck's going on there. But uh, all I know is I'm glad I got rid of my clicking problem. I don't know what I did. I tried like 10 different things, but yeah. one of them did it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think the reboot for you was the uh, was the trick. No, it was something else clever I did. I'm almost positive. I'm it sure. can't be that simple. Yeah, it's, <laughs> With audio, it's that simple. Alright, we'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the iOS show, which I was able to join on Thursday from WWDC. So he and Adam Christensen and I had a great conversation. Go ahead and listen to that episode if you would. Uh, and also getappler.com is another product that Michael makes. I'd like to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-O. And of course, I thank Michael. I told you where to find him, but I didn't thank him specifically. Son of a gun. Uh, I didn't thank him specifically for converting this show to AAC, which is what he does for us, which is awesome. And so thank you for that, Michael, because without, uh, without that, uh, I don't know what we would do. We love it. The, the listeners love it. Everybody loves it. It's good stuff. So I want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com as well. And in the podcast marketplace is Bare Bones Software, uh, Smile at SmileSoftware.com, Gazelle, as we mentioned, Squarespace.com, coupon code MGG, Connected Data with Transporter, Coupon codes MGG10 and MGG20, ifixit.com, and also Harry's, because you got to keep yourself well shorn. Holy cow. The music made it, John. So I know we didn't follow this advice, at least not in terms of being able to play audio comments and music in this show, but what piece of advice could you possibly share for me and for all of our listeners for the next show. Well, especially with the band, I would say, don't get caught. Made up.